Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. You know what becomes abundantly clear to me, especially in watching Emily's video, listen to Becca sing that song, it becomes abundantly clear to me and probably to you that this life is not an event. This life is not a time in which we show up and all of a sudden things are right or things are wrong. It's, it's not that we, we took a pill or we went to a conference and all of a sudden things became something. It is a journey. It is a never-ending journey. And, and it seems to never stop, does it? I mean, this, this side of glory, we think it never stops. And on the other side, it still doesn't stop. Life goes on, does it not? I mean, for some of you, tomorrow morning will be Monday and it will be your fault. It's just life goes on. And, and, and the most powerful thing about that as we teach in this series called Rescue is this perspective that Moses and the people of Israel experienced this journey for 40 years. And I believe you can take a snapshot of the people of Israel in this series out of the Exodus, and I believe you can look at the good old U.S. of A. and wonder, are we in our time of wandering? Is it possible that we are looking for mile marker after mile marker to determine where we're at so that we might could determine where we're supposed to go? And so in Exodus chapter 15 today, we want to continue in our teaching through the Exodus in this series, Rescue. And the question, as Bobby mentioned to us earlier, is really in this sense of rescue, what are we willing to do? And we've seen God pick Moses, a most unlikely candidate, a man with an anger issue, a man who had already given up and had gone back on the other side of the desert, was comfortable in his own skin and comfortable in his own, in, in his, in his own comfort where life was good. I've got a job. I've got a family. All is well. Things have worked out. I've made it through my crisis. And yet the journey continued. And God said through a burning bush, I want you to go rescue my people, the nation of Israel, from the Egyptians who have held them in slavery for hundreds of years. And Moses, seeing the bush that is burning and yet not being consumed, says, whoa, there's something different. This is, this is not an event. I am on a journey. Look, the, the bush is not being consumed. Where I stand is on holy ground. Wherever God is, he has promised his fulfillment and his goodness and his holiness. And all of a sudden, Moses is thrust into becoming the rescuer. And here is a man who was content with what he had, like many of us, just a normal guy, Moses had already had colossal failures like many of us. And God said, I want you to do this. And so he goes there and we know the story because Pharaoh has hardened his heart. And after the series of plagues, if you've seen the 12, that the plagues that come along in, in the, in the 10 commandments, the movie, the movie, you know, Charlton Heston, he, he delivers, right? Well, there's Moses and everything has happened wrong. And so finally, Pharaoh says, all right, the the death, that's enough. Go, you and your people, just go. 
And so Moses leads his people, the people of Israel, out until all of a sudden, now they are at a point in the journey where they hit a first mile marker, and there they are on the first mile marker on the journey at the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, the water is in front of them. Pharaoh has now hardened his heart and has sent his army full of chariots and mean, nasty Egyptians to wipe them out because Pharaoh is not playing anymore. He's done If it had been today, Pharaoh would have lit up a couple of nukes. He would have sent in Uzis and guard dogs, and there would have been nothing left because he was fed up. And so he sends his army to wipe out the people of Israel. And there the Israelites are, and the Red Sea is in front of them, and there's no place to go. And you know what they need? They need a rescue. They need something to happen beyond the norm because they don't have the weapons that the evil Egyptians do. And what we see here is not a picture of Israel and Egypt. What we see here is a picture of evil and good. What we see here is a picture of godliness and what we see on the other side is a picture of evil. And what we see is Moses where all of a sudden he, the rescuer, needs a rescue. I don't know about you, but I've been there, have you not? Have you been there where you you need a rescue? When I watched Emily Fu's video for the first time, my first thought was, now that's a family that knows when God shows up with a rescue. When I watched that video, my first thought was, now that's somebody who knows what it is when the Red Sea is in front of me and the enemy is behind me and there is nowhere to go and I need a rescue. And some of us today are in a position where life has not gone as we planned it and we need a rescue. And that first mile marker of rescue is a step of salvation. You see, that first mile marker is a step of salvation. And in the, in the book of Exodus, in the 15th chapter, in verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And then when you go down to verse 19, it says, For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And for those of you that freak out about the instruments, just take it up with her. I don't, I don't like it when you play that. Take it up with her. You know what happened? She saw salvation. She saw where there was nowhere to turn. God stepped in and blew through the the sea and parted the ways. And do you see the dichotomy here? God said for his people that would say to him, I need you. God said to the people who said, I need to be rescued. God said to those that said, I need salvation. He showed up and he let them walk on dry ground. And for those who said no to him, for those who said, I will oppose the way of God, what happened? The wall of water crashed on them and they drowned in the mess of life. Let me ask you a question. Are you at a point today where you need a rescue called salvation? 
It's interesting, when we had Vacation Bible School here a few weeks ago, we had children all in here where you're sitting today. And I would come out at the close of the day, and we'd have third, fourth, and fifth graders in here. And, and I would talk to those, those children about what it was, what salvation meant. And it was this simple part that we have been separated from God because of our sin. Now, let's make sure that we understand what this looks like. Because, you see, God teaches us, for all of us have come short of the glory of God. Now, what, what Scripture's teaching is this. All of us have come short of God's perfection. God is perfect, we are not. God is holy, we are not. And so because of that, we are separated from his presence because in his holiness, he cannot tolerate our sinfulness. And in the middle of that, he says, but I love you. And for those of you who want to be rescued, for those of you that know you need this salvation, here's what I'm going to do. And he sent his only son, Jesus, and in John 3, 16, one of the most famous Bible verses of all times, he says, what? For God so loved the world. And I'd look at those little boys and girls and I'd say, well, who's the world? And all those little boys and girls say, I am. You know what the good news is? You are. You're the world. And God said, I've sent my only son, Jesus, and he's going to take the price that you deserve because of your sin. And he's going to die and he's going to shed his blood and they're going to put him in a tomb and the world is going to freak out and look for a rescue and the world is going to really get weird because they don't know what to do or where to go. And all of a sudden, three days later, Jesus, the son of God, is going to stand up and he's going to walk up to that huge stone in front of there and he's going to blow it away. And he's going to walk out of that tomb and he's going to make a home for heaven, in heaven for all those who would believe. And then upon his ascension, he said, and here's the plan. You are called to be part of the rescue and tell the world about my salvation. And that, my friend, is when you get to the mile marker number one, which is called rescue, the step of salvation. And some of you today need to choose to take that step. Oh, but it gets better. As he continues, you get to the second mile marker, not just rescue, but now release, which is the step of forgiveness. I, I find this brutally difficult. Uh, some of you do, and I've spoken with you in my office, how hard this is. We receive the goodness of God. We receive the salvation of God. We receive the rescue of God. What we don't like to do is release that which we hold next to our heart as bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and pettiness. And I, I want you to notice what happened in here. They moved on. In verse 22, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Now, and please don't miss in this. Please don't miss this. Listen, this is vitally important. Salvation came, but that was not the end of the journey. The purpose of Sugar Hill Church is not just that you might meet Jesus, but that you might experience all that he has for you. Because you see, listen, Emily Foo's in that video, she loves Jesus, but I promise you, her rescue isn't done. Students, you proclaim to love Jesus, but when school starts back in August and you walk down those halls, you're going to need 
not just a rescue, you're going to need to release some of the anger and whatever somebody said bad about you or whatever you're holding in bitterness. And by the way, some of you are too. Some of you have been here and you've been in a divorce for 5, 10, 15 years and you're still hanging on to bitterness and anger and pride and jealousy. And you know what I have found on the journey? You can't experience the joy of the rescue until you release all that. You know what I found in my own life? I love to remember stuff. I love to remember when somebody has wronged me. I love to remember when people say something bad about me. I I, I love to remember that stuff because when I remember that stuff, I don't have to deal with my own heart. I can always blame you. Well, I can tell you why I'm bitter. It's because of Randall back there. That's why. And Randall said, what I do? You see, I really have decided that most of us have determined that our present is dictated by our past and that our future is predetermined by what we've already done. You see, I, I think it's at this stage where we're really, really struggling to forgive and allow the presence of God to take over in our life. Because, you see, when, when we don't release and allow God to take over, what happens is we fill our heart, we fill our life with, with bitterness and anger and pettiness and jealousy. We fill it with pride and we fill it with self. And all of a sudden, it's full of all that where there's no room for us to recognize the rescue. There's no way we can recognize the release. There's no way we can enjoy the beauty of forgiveness. There's no way we can enjoy the beauty of salvation. And so what we do is we take that much of the gospel. We take that much of Jesus. We take that much of the promise of God and we say, you know what? I'm good for heaven. I'm all right. I made it. And we miss everything God has for us in this life. And so before you know it, we have a crisis like Emily just talked about. And then we asked at the third mile marker, what is the requirement here? Why me? You know, you would think that in the span of not quite four years, having a spouse pass away, a mom pass away, and a dad pass away, that God would get your attention, wouldn't you? That's kind of what I experienced. And you would think in the middle of that, God would get your attention. Hello, Chuck, knock, knock, you know, hello. And in the middle of all that, you know what happened was I asked the wrong questions. I love to ask this question. I bet you do too. Why me? Why me? Come on, God, of all the people you could pick out there, why, isn't there somebody else you need to build character in more than me? Can we not take a break on this today? Pick on Bobby. I mean, it's fun to watch him in misery. Pick on Bobby. I mean, let's face it. Laura's kind of the Holy Spirit and have heard his life anyway. She'll fix it, you know. Pick on Bobby. I mean, why not, right? Pick on Dina. Just pick, but Lord, give me a break today. And you know what I found? Every time I kept asking why, heaven got more silent. Every time I asked why, I never heard an answer. You know why? I was asking the wrong W question. The question isn't why, the question is who. You see, instead of trying to figure out the why God was allowing in my life, I needed to stop and ask, who is God in my life?
Does he really hold my present and my future in the palm of his hand? Can I really trust the presence and the power and the goodness of God? Can I really believe that the God who loved me enough to not only speak me into creation, the God who knew the plans for my life before I ever came out of my mother's womb, the God who intended everything good for me, that God, the God who said, I'll never sleep, I'll never take a coffee break, I will always be with you, I will never forsake you, that God, could I not trust him at this mile marker of requirement? And he says, what I require of you is if you're going to take that salvation and the rescue, then release and forgive. And then my requirement is you learn to trust me. I got to be honest with you. I don't like the trust part. I don't, I don't like the trust part. You know, you know what the trust part requires of me? That I don't have to understand everything. And you know what I, I love? I love to understand my life. I like to wake up in the morning and know that there's money in the bank. I like to wake up in the morning and know my kids are going to be perfect. I like to wake up in the morning and know that, that the bills are going to be paid. I like to wake up in the morning that nobody's fussing at me at church. I like to wake up in the morning and know there's not going to be traffic when I get on Peachtree Industrial. I like to wake up in the morning and not have to go get gas in my car. I like to get up in the morning and be thin. Let me just kind of parenthetically stop and say you laughed a little too easy at that one. (laughs) You see, the problem is our God isn't regulated by my ability to understand or my ability to control his will. You know why? Scripture says his ways are higher than ours. Could I give you maybe the greatest, it, it, this has radically changed my life and I've only understood it now for about three years. But I promise you, this has been, Jenny has probably helped me understand this more than any human on the planet. I don't, I don't know anybody that lives by faith and lives by trust more than my wife. And she helps me with this constantly and that is this. There are mysteries to the ways of God I will never, ever know. And do you know why? Because he is God and I am not. And do you know you got to leave room for the presence of a holy God to do a supernatural work in your life? And his requirement is you don't have to understand, just trust. You say, well, why should I trust God? Well, let me, let me walk you through this. If you look at every, and, and, and I mean that word every, including Job, look at every Old Testament hero that you've ever known about or looked about. Go, go Google it. Look at every Bible story of every of every. Old Testament hero, you know what you'll find? You will find somebody who has experienced colossal failures in their life. And then you will find a God who redeems them. You go to the New Testament and you'll find that God picked the most unlikely people to trust him and be a part of his work. He picked 12 guys. One of them surrendered him. He picked people like tax collectors and zealots who existed to kill each other. And then he came along the seashore and he picked you. And he said, come on, let's go change the world. And all through that, you know what he chose to do? Look right here, church. You know, you know what he chose to do? He chose in his plan 
to give you a rescue and to redeem you and to give you salvation. He, he chose to live within you that you might be able to forgive and then you might be able to release. And then he said, and the one thing I really want you to do is learn to trust me. This is the mile marker that I've got for you. This is my requirement. Trust me. And you know what we say to that? Mm, I don't think so. Lord, I, I need to control this. I need to understand it. I, I, need, to, I need to wrap my head around it. Yeah, humanly, you know what I, I tend to do? I have a hard time grabbing God's dream and vision for my life and carrying it forward when I can't wrap my arms around it. Am, am I the only one that's like that? Where if I can't pick it up, if I can't hold it, sometimes I think it can't be so. And you know what God says? Chuck, I'm bigger than anything you can wrap your arms around, but don't worry, I've got my arms wrapped around you. And all of a sudden, I get to the next mile marker. And life now is about where the boy sits down and the man stands up. Where the girl sits down and the woman stands up. Where the spiritual baby sits down and the spiritually mature stand up. And we start separating ourselves in a hurry at this next mile marker. Remember, and I want, I want to make sure you get this, most of us treat church like an event. If I show up at church, I'm good. Check. Done. I've done my duty. I didn't fall asleep this week. All is well. Well, except for the dude back there. And so all of a sudden we think we've done our duty and we've forgotten in the midst of this that Moses brought his people out of horrific conditions. Moses let his people experience the presence and the power of God. Moses led his people way beyond just releasing. Moses got them to the point where they had to trust. And I want you to take a look at your scripture again, because they weren't experiencing an event. They were on a journey. And I want you to see what happened. Back in verse 22, it says, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. Now watch this three days after they walked on dry land underneath the Red Sea, three days after they, their lives had been spared, three days after they'd seen the power and the presence of God happen, three days after that, I'm thirsty and they sound like an eight-year-old in the back seat driving from here to Panama City. I'm thirsty. How far? I'm hungry. Johnny did something he shouldn't. Roll the windows down. I mean, it's just... Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? I know some of you experienced that in the last week. And you're saying, ooh, ooh, ooh. And that's the way they were. They went three days after all of these mile markers and I'm thirsty. You know, walking in the desert will cause you to be thirsty, won't it? Walking on the backside of the desert where everything smells and tastes like sand and the world is dry and you don't see God at work. And even though it's been three days, you draw a line there and you say, I need to find the next mile marker. And look what happened here. In verse 23, when they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah, which means bitter water. They're clever that way, those Israelites. And I love what verse 24 says, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we 
drink. And here's how I think they said it. Mm. What shall we drink? Here you have led us out in the middle of nowhere. And here you have just three days out of seeing God's... What are you going to do now? What, really? We're out here in the nowhere. We have experienced God's rescue. We've experienced God's release. We're trying our best to live in his requirement. And all of a sudden we hit the mile marker of refusal. And this is where many of us are living and it's where many of us have stopped right now, where God says, here's what I want you to do. And our answer is a resounding no. Here's what I need you to do. I need, I need you to cut that relationship out of your life because every time you're with them, you're involved in something you shouldn't be in. I, I, need, I, need, I need you to stop. I need you to stop doing this so that you can experience that. I, I, need, I, need, I need you to stop flirting with that girl at the office and, and be faithful to your wife. I, I need you to stop answering that guy's phone calls and be truthful with your husband. I, I, need, you, I, I need you students to, to listen to what your parents say and stop being a stupid little brat sometimes when you just want to act out on your own because you're pretty sure you know everything there is to know and your parents want the best for you and there's a time when you just grow up. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> so let me go to the next one, see how many amens I get out of that. And by the way, dad, it's time for you to stop going home and reading the paper and neglecting your kids and your family. And how about you show up and stay there? And moms, how about if you stop griping and picking at your husband because he's not perfect? Because let me assure you, he's not and neither are you. I'm an equal opportunity offender today. <laughs> All the kids are saying, it's about time, buddy. <laughs> the people grumbled. I think at this point, God asked this question. Are you going to trust me or not? Because I think you just said no to the one that created you the one that holds you in the palm of his hand, the one who provides the air you breathe, the one who provides heaven for you, the one who gives you salvation, the one who allows you to experience the joy of forgiveness, the one who, if you trust, will promise to give you anything and everything abundantly, exceedingly more than you could ever imagine that one. The one who says in Proverbs 3, 1, that if you remember his teachings and keep his commandments, what will he do? He'll give you length of days and length of your life that's the God who promises over and over and over again. The one in Ephesians and Philippians that Paul writes about that is all about y'all who wants you to experience the joy and the goodness. And that's the one we're saying no to. God, I'm not going to surrender my checkbook because I've got this. You handle everything else. And God says, if I don't have everything, I've got nothing. You see, this is a God who says your partial obedience equals total disobedience to me. This is a God who says, tell you what, you know, I, I understand you want to give me your home and your kids. You want to give me your Bible reading, your prayer life, but you don't want to give me your career because what I want you to do is I want you to start a Bible study at that big office you work at. But what you say is, if I do that, it might keep me from getting the next bonus. And you're saying no to God. 
God, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you my family, but I'm not going to give you my Alta life because if I actually pray with my partner before, they're going to make fun of me. I'll tell you what, God, I'm going to let you have all of this part of my life, but I'm not going to openly share my faith because I believe if I just live good enough, they'll see it in me. How's that working for you? Because, you see, we said no. Now, here's the good news, and I think it might be the best news in this story. We get to the next mile marker, and here's what the people said again in verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord. Ooh, just put a period there. So when all the world's grumbling at you, where do you cry out? I've got to find that old Oprah magazine. I know there was an article about that. I've got to see what Dr. Oz said. I, I desperately need to see what the doctors have to say tomorrow afternoon. Moses cried out to the Lord because when he hit the mile marker of renewal, he took a step of ownership and said, I will be the one that calls on the God who can deliver me. And he cries out on the Lord, and here's what he says. And the Lord showed him, and I love this, a tree. The Lord showed him a log, a tree. Am I the only one that gets blown away by the simplicity of God? I mean, God could have shown him a Mercedes. God could have shown him a new Ford F-150. God could have shown him a new boat or even a sea-doo. You know what God showed him? A tree, a log. Now, listen, you don't have to be a preacher to find the significance in this. Because at the middle of his greatest time, there became in sight an old rugged tree. Let me say it again. An old rugged piece of wood. Okay, let me put it another way. He saw an old rugged piece of wood that could have been made into an old rugged cross. And God says to Moses, throw it into the water. And when he did, the water became not bitter. The bitter water became sweet. Let me ask you a question. In your mile markers, in your journey, has there ever come a time where God has put the cross in front of you and said, this is where my son died for you. This is where my son came and shed his blood for you. This is a place where you don't just find heaven. This is a place where you find forever, today, now, a journey that I will walk with you on, a journey that I will carry you at times through, a journey that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, a journey that I will be with you, a journey that I have the very best for you, the journey that I know if you will follow, you will not just find me, you will find peace. And life went from bitter to sweet. Oh, but wait a minute. There, there's, there's a catch here. In the middle of all of the grumbling, you know one attribute of God that we find is how patient he was. 
Do the people in your life grow impatient with you at times? Does that ever happen? Maybe my family is the only place where this happens, where people get impatient with each other, where you kind of pop something off. They ask a simple question. Well, what do you mean by that? I just scared a fool out of some of you, didn't I? Just making sure you're with me. I know. Kennedy down there was, ah! You know what I've learned? God never pops off. He's always patient. In the middle of all of our mess, in the middle of all of our failures, there God is. And he says, don't worry, I've got you. I'm going to turn from bitter to sweet. And here's what the Lord says at the marker of renewal. There the Lord made for them a statute, a rule, a regulation, and there he tested them. You ever feel like you're being tested? I mean, I do. I I told somebody the other day, there are times I feel like I am the personal reason for the global economic meltdown. If I'd just obeyed God, you'd still have your 401k. I do, I do remember when Jenny and I were in the process before we were here of losing everything that we had. And I remember in the middle of that thinking, this is the most awful thing in the world. Maybe you're in the middle of that right now, and you're, you're thinking, I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to lose my car. I mean, you know what I've realized? Who cares? You know why? There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, a regulation. There he tested them saying, if you will, and if you've got pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I want you to jot this down. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and to do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Is that not beautiful? Now, now watch this. In the middle of whatever you're in right now, I mean, pick it, whatever you're in. He starts with a mile marker of rescue. And he continues all the way through a mile marker of renewal. And here's what God does in your life if you will allow him to. He comes in and he gives you a brand new start, a brand new life. You say, well, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 40, I'm 20. I'm, I'm at a different mile marker than you can imagine. You know, here's the beauty. Look at this. You know what's great? He is at every marker. He's at every marker and he's waiting on you to say yes. He's waiting to say, I need salvation. I need forgiveness. I need to trust you. And when I do, you know what's going to happen? Renewal. And what happens in that time of renewal? He claims ownership of you and he says, you're my boy. You're my girl. I've got you. And you don't have to be able to wrap your arms around him because his loving arms have already wrapped themselves around you. And so wherever you are, whatever part of the mile, whatever the journey, whatever the marker you're at, He says, do these two things, listen to my voice and obey me. He says, do these two things, listen to my voice and obey me. So maybe you're here today and you're going to say, Chuck, you know what? I need that renewal. 
You may say, Chuck, I don't just need, I need, I need to be rescued. I need salvation. Salvation needs to come to my house today. Then it's this simple. Jesus, I need you. Come clean me up. Make me new. Chuck, I want to be renewed. Listen and obey. Chuck, I want all that God has for me. Then what does he tell you to do? Well, it's right here. Well, how do I obey him? Do what he asks you to do. Well, how do I know his voice? Spend time with him. How do I do that? Three quick things. Grab the Gospel of John and read a chapter. And at the end of every chapter, ask yourself this question. Who did Jesus say he was? What am I going to do about it? Who did Jesus say he was? And what am I going to do about it? When you get done with that, go over to the book of James. When you read the end of the book of James, ask yourself this question. Wow, who do I think I am? Because in his eyes, I matter. And then stop. And you can look up into the sky at a God who's more awesome than we could ever imagine. And say, I need you, Lord. I know you're not done with me. And no matter what mile marker I'm on, I know you're there. And I'm going to trust you with all my heart. God, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. My past is not going to dictate my future. You are. My present's not going to dictate my future. You are. My circumstances aren't going to dictate my future. You are. My spouse is not going to dictate my future. You are. My money's not going to dictate my future. You are. God, you are holy. You are righteous. You alone are God. And you are who I need. And this day, I choose to follow you on my journey. And my prayer is that's what you will choose to do today. Father God, today, as we stand to worship you in awe of you, I pray we lift our hands, our hearts, and our voices in awe and in wonder of a God who is on a journey with us, not an event that we check off. And he is here right now. And wherever our marker is, God, reach out and let us hear your voice that we might obey it this day. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Lord, our Savior, our Sustainer, our strong tower, we pray.